Hey everyone, welcome to Write This Down with Dot Bowen. My name is Kara, I'm Dot's daughter, and typically we sit down together every week and we talk through truth and scripture. But as you have probably noticed, we are doing things a little different this week. You might be able to hear that I am sounding a little under the weather, so we decided to let you guys hear a talk that my mom gave a couple weeks ago at the Breathe Retreat on hope. And honestly, it is one of my favorite talks that I've not only heard her give, but One of my favorite talks that I've heard on the topic of hope. I personally needed to hear it, and so I thought maybe someone out there would need to hear it as well. So we would love for you to pull up a chair and listen in. Well, today, one of the things we're going to talk about is uh, a very, very controversial topic. But it is something that I think uh, we... It does have something to do about hope. We uh, have a hard time finding hope in the midst of this, but I believe that there are a lot of things that God wants to speak to our hearts tonight. Well, I hope tonight too, but hopefully today. Uh, We're not starting off too good, but we're going to move right on in this in a little bit. But what we're going to talk about is this, is suffering. Why do we suffer? I have no idea. Let's close in prayer. Okay, fine. What I want to say is this. How is suffering and hope, how can, how can we, you know, blend that? Because isn't it true, or I don't know, I feel like it's true, and it's certainly true in my life, that when I suffer, I fight hopelessness. I fight, you know, a little bit of despair, a little bit of discouragement and disappointment. And so I want us today, we're going to open our Bibles to Job, and I want us to talk a little bit about Job. Um, Poor guy, you know, let's read. I want us to read, and they're going to have the verses on the screen, but I want you to turn to your Bible if you can, and I'm going to read the very first, Job 1, 1, and then I'm going to skip down to 9, because there's a lot in here I want, uh, uh, verse 9, not chapter 9. Uh, y'all are like, how long is she going to read? Uh, but uh, go to Job 1, and then, and it will be on the screen, but I want us to just look at the life of Job and ask God, say, God, help me to understand You may have questions, and that's okay. Goes up for it. And I love the uh, when um, Angela said, "Y'all turn in your questions, and Dot will try to, you know, uh, explain them." And I said to Janice, "Amen on that. She'll try." But you know what? We're going to find today. We're going to. I want us to be ready and to be open to say, "God, I I got some questions." He's up for it. He's okay. And uh, I think that. To uh, suffering and in this world, and why do Christians suffer? There's lots of books written about it. Why do th- bad things happen to good people? Y'all have heard of those books. And so we want to look at the life of Job. Um, you know, the scripture says these things, these people are written in, for us to learn. Not We're not Job. We don't want to be Job, actually. But Or we're not Abraham, or we're not Noah. We're not, you know, these people, these heroes of the faith. But we can learn a lot. I'm not Sarah. I don't want to be pregnant at 100, you know. And so, um, but we can look at their lives, and what we want to see is not try to be them, but what these people in the scriptures, and they're in there for, 
What it is, is that it's like a mirror. Like, it's not like we're trying to be them. They're not a model for us. But we can see ourselves sometimes in their lives. And we certainly can see the ways of God. We can see how God worked in their lives. And since God's always the same, and I'm not saying that God does everything the same in our lives, but there's some characteristics of God, the faithfulness of what Caroline was talking about. There's some characteristics and, and attributes of God that we can pull out and how did God, how was God faithful in this situation? How did, was God loving in this situation? And so as we look at the uh, life of Job, I want you to start when we do first uh, verse, chapter one, there was a man in the land of Uz. It sounds like it's almost like a um, uh, Disney thing, but it's not. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright one who feared God and turned away from evil. He was a good man. Go to verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came along with them. That alone make you want to stop. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro from the earth and from walking up and down on it. I know one thing, he's been walking up and down my aisles. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord said to Satan, who brought up the conversation? The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Now, I like for the Lord to talk about me, that I'm blameless and, and right and good. But when Satan's around, just let's skip over me. He said, have you considered my servant Job? And there was a man, there is none like him on the earth. Can you even imagine the Lord saying that? There's, well, he probably is, and there's, you're one of a kind. But he said, with a blameless and a fear. He said, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth. A blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. You know that makes Satan mad because he's poor, poor evil. And Satan answered in the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed him at the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. Satan in Revelation is called the accuser of the brethren. You know those voices in your mind? Those voices that you hear, you're nothing. You're never going to be anything. You can't do that. He's the accuser of the brethren. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has in your hand, only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. God called Job a good man, righteous and blameless. What do we call him? When you think about somebody and it's like, oh, we're going to talk about Job. How do we refer to Job? He's a man that suffers, right? Does it, you know, as I was praying about this, this is just this morning. This just popped in my head this morning. So it's not on my notes. But I can tell you that, you know what happened? I said, God, you said 
that Job is a, a righteous man, blameless. He runs from evil. He's not trying to do anything but holiness and godliness. But we call him the man that suffers. He's the example of a, of a suffering. You've heard the suffering of Job. And as I was praying that, the thought came in my mind, and I believe it was of the Lord. He said, yes, that's because that's what your attention is about. You're more concerned about the suffering and how to explain it than you are the fact of, I would call him righteous and holy. Now, that'll get you attention. But I want to ask you, and I want, to, I want you to think about that. When you're in this situation and you're going through a hard time, whether it's just, uh, just you know, I think they're suffering, Job's, uh, I think there are people that you just look at their lives and you're like, one more thing? I've said that about my sister. I said, I think she's a modern Job. Now, I don't say she's righteous and, and all that, but I do say she's suffering. She is righteous. She really didn't go out and get drinks. Um, but what I want to say is this, is that as I think about Job and I think about what God said and got Satan's attention, you, you look at it like, God, why would you do that? Why, why would you allow? You said he was a good man. And you know what? Do you know what we think? We think that the bad people should suffer. We want them to. And, and here is a good man. It just causes it just causes confusion in our heads. Why would God bring this up? And you know, I just, and that's some of the things that, that I want to talk about today. Why did he bring it up? And, and, and one of the things I do know is this, that we suffer. Yes, we suffer for our consequences. We suffer for the choices, some of the choices we make. And you know what? We suffer sometimes from the choices other people make. And, and you know, I'm not saying that we don't just suffer because uh, we're righteous and holy and Satan wants to get a hold of our attention and make us mad and try to pull us away from God, but he does. But what I want to say is, yes, we do suffer. We do have to deal with, in this world, we're going to have tribulation, and we're going to have to deal with the stuff in this world, and we're going to have to deal with the stuff of other people's world. But what I do know is this. God never... And you can write this down. I hate to always say God nevers, but I can say God nevers because of the heart of God, and I'm going to say this. You don't want to put God in a box unless you're putting him in the box of who he says he is. And this is what he says. I love my children. I do not withhold anything that's not best for them. I'm going to always do what is good. Not all things are good, but I'll work it out that way. And so what we want to say is this, is that, yes, we're going to have disappointment. Yes, we're going to suffer. Yes, we're going to have to deal with the enemy. Yes, we're going to have to deal with Satan. But what I want to say is that suffering and disappointment and heartache is not God's punishment. God is not in the business of punishing his children. He's in the business of redeeming them, forgiving them, and giving them a place in his presence. God is a God of redemption. 
If you don't receive him, if you reject him as your savior, you'll be punished, but it's your choice. God sent everything. God did everything. He sent his son so that you would not be punished and have eternal hell. And and as I think so often, as, as believers, we think God's punishing us. God does allow his children to go through difficult things. But I want to tell you something. Have you read Genesis 1 and 2? It wasn't his heart. It's not God's heart. That's not how he started. God didn't make you in his image so that he could punish you and that you would have such a terrible life. He, called, he created the heavens and the earth, and he said, this is good. This is good. Who destroyed what was good? Man, Adam and Eve. They wanted to be God. And as I began to, to look at this scripture, and I began to see where Satan has come in, and he has um, asked God, you know, what about your servant? You know, you think he's so great. You only, he only likes you because of all the stuff you got. And as I look at the suffering, I've, I know that there are things in our lives. And one of the things is that, that when the trials come, they're not coming to break you. They're not coming to destroy you. But what I found is that they will reveal you. They will reveal the true you. You're like, I can't believe I acted like that. Or I can't believe I said that. Well, you know what? You did. And it didn't just come out. You know, you say they just pushed that button. They didn't push that button. What they did is they, their reaction, your reaction, is what's already there. It just came out. And so as we began to, to see that trials often well, has a way of revealing who we are. Now, what I want to talk about today is our response to trials, our response to difficulties, our response to suffering will be a direct impact of how we view God. Our response to it will be a direct impact on how we view God. What I mean by that, the way that I view God, if I view God as this guy up in the sky just waiting on me to do something wrong so he can punish me or teach me a lesson, when something happens in our lives, our response is, God, why did you allow this happen? Are you punishing me? You, you know, I thought you forgave me. Am I Now, again, listen to me. I can't say this enough. The consequences of your choice is not punishment. It's the consequences of your choice. And so you've got to understand that there is a difference between the consequences of your choice and forgiveness. Just because God's forgiven you, I, I used to work with the teenagers and um, in the youth department. And that alone, I thought, should give me some points with God. But I remember sitting, and this, you can laugh like, oh, I hope that wasn't my daughter. But, and it wasn't, because I don't know any of yours. But what was, this has been years and years ago. But I would sit with these, these teenagers, and I'm not, I'm not exaggerating this, with a straight face. She said, well, yes, we do have sex, but I pray I don't get pregnant. 
Do you pray before or after? She said, after. (laughs) Now, honey, I don't know about you, but God created something, and it's like the egg, and you know what I'm talking about, and it comes. And you can pray all day long, but there is a principle in Genesis 1 and 2. You reap what you sow. You put a seed down, you're going to get whatever you put down. And so you can, you know, I can sit down on Georgia 400, anybody that lives in Atlanta, you know Georgia 400. You, you got to pray through Georgia 400. <laughs> and I can sit down in Georgia 400, and I can pray, God, please don't let me get hit by a truck. And here comes the car. Please don't let me get hit by a car. And what I'm doing is that I'm blaming God because I'm sitting on Georgia 400 asking God not to make me have the consequences of my choice to sit on Georgia 400 and blaming him when I do. Now, that's not what Job is dealing with. Job is not putting himself, he's shunned from evil. So I want to make the distinction. I want to understand. Don't get mad at God for the choices that you made. Praise him for the forgiveness that he's given you for the choices that you made. And so as I look at, at Job and look at, and look at the life of Job, I realize that what we want to do, we want to do everything we can to escape the pain. And I I don't know if y'all know what those enograms or anagrams or whatever those things are, but, you know, they say I'm the seven, and I've always thought, what in the world is a seven? I like seven's a good number. That's what I heard. It's holy. I'm like, you're saying I'm holy? And they're like, no, you're saying you're just, you don't like, you just like fun. You just like a, you know, you have no value, you have no depthness. You just like to have fun. And I'm thinking, well, I'd. And I'm like, well, that's not a good seven. But what that really means, what they're saying, is somebody's come up with something and named some number, and they've looked at the way people act and come up with an idea that this is the way people should act, and that's your number. You know what I'm talking about? Well, this number that they say I am is someone that doesn't want any problems. Oh, well, I'm a seven, that's for sure. And why wouldn't anyone but want to be a seven? Who wants to go in and, and have problems? But what, what I've known over the years is that really and truly that what's happened is that when there's a lot of problems and a lot of stuff, I find myself escaping wanting to hide from it. I want to not have to deal with that. But what I've found is that the mystery, there's a mystery to this. There's a mystery to what God is doing in the life of Job. And, and, and I think what we've tried to do is that we try to figure it out so that we can escape it. There's a quote. It says, the mystery that is in the ground of our being, like in the center of our being, can be approached, but it's never penetrated Suffering, there's just parts of our lives that, were, that are mysteries. There's parts of our being that we just don't understand. And I think suffering has a, sits there because we just don't really understand a lot of why God has allowed us to go through the suffering. And especially when we see that we know that God, God said that Job was a godly man. But what we want to do is that when we get into a very difficult situation, we do everything we can to try to explain it and escape from it. 
Do you agree with that? And, and so what I'm trying for us to do is I'm not going to try to explain to you because I don't think there's an answer. I think that there's an answer here in Job about trying not to explain what God's doing. Do you remember his friends? You know, you remember his wife? She's never going to be in a book about how to be a good wife. She said, just curse God and tell him, and just go on and die. I mean, that's not really a, a, a good wife thing. I mean, I'm sure she was mad about it, but, you know. Uh, but, but what we can find out about this is here's Job's friends. And Job's friends is going to try to tell Job. They, it's amazing to me. They go for a very long time and never say anything. I would never do that. You know, and, and, and when I began to really understand this, I really got to, I really saw myself in a mirror on Joe's friends. This was many years ago. And I still struggle. You call me up and tell me something's going on. Or if I sit with my kids and grandkids and, and they're telling me what's going on, I'm looking for a reason to help them to get out of it. I, I want to explain it. I want to be able to say, well, there's a reason for this. And you know what we do when we do that? When, when Job's friends were trying to tell Job what was wrong and why God was doing it, did you know that Job's friends quoted Scripture? Did you know that Job's friends literally quoted Psalms? Did you know that Job's uh, friends, if you read what they say, you're going to find yourself, why, well, isn't that true? It, when, you, when you looked, when I would read the things that Job's friends would tell Job, like, God would never do this. You must have been doing something wrong. And I, did I not, I'm not said to you a thousand times that God doesn't withhold what's best for his children. God doesn't want to punish. You know, and so here's Job's friends. They're telling, and especially in the Old Testament, if you were doing something wrong, God was trying to get you punishment. You know, you, you, you get in the Old Testament, and it says if you do this, you're going to get that. So when Job's friends are telling Job what to do, trying to help Job, they're not wrong. But if you read the end of Job, God is so mad at Job's friends. And so I'm looking at God, what? They're telling him the truth. What was wrong with Job's friends is that Job's friends tried to explain God. Job's friends tried to be God. Job's friends, it was the position that Job's friends was in. So when you're sitting with someone and someone says, this is happening, and you're saying, well, I think God's telling you this, you better be careful because you don't know what God is doing in someone else's life. And, and if what we're doing is that we know that God created man in his image, but we're not God. And so what we're doing is that we are putting ourselves in the place of God. So when we try to discover or we try to explain God, and if we try to put ourselves to try to understand God and not allow the mystery not allow that place that there's just some things that there's no answer to. 
I remember when I was taking a seminary class, they were saying, you know, that uh, I'm going through this verse that says, one of these days, you know, you, you look through a glass darkly, but one of these days you're going to uh, see things, and then one day you'll see things as they are, and you think, well, when you get to heaven, you're going to have all your answers, you know, your, all your questions answered and stuff. And I remember that the professor said, you don't know that God will answer your questions when you get in heaven. I'm thinking, for the love. <laughs> you mean, are you telling me? That when I get to heaven, I'm not going to have my whys answered. And, and, and as I would pray about that, and he wasn't the one you didn't raise. Really yeah, I didn't say that to him, but I did say it to God. And then over the years, when I've gotten into God's presence, when I'm praying, I feel his arms around me, I got to thinking that maybe I won't really care. Maybe down here is important. But maybe there it won't be. But as we, but we're here. And so what we need to know is that there is a mystery about God. And when we try to understand or we try to lower our image of God to get him down on our understanding, you've made an idol. You have created God in your image and how you think he is and not what he says and who he says he is. Do you see what I'm saying? When you, here's something I found out, uh, I guess about maybe two or three months ago. When I began to think about the mysteries of God and when I tried to understand the suffering and why people go through different things and why God doesn't always give us the answers, I mean, at least Job had the questions. The friends thought they had the answers. And, and it, the more that I would look at this, did you know that I found that when we have the mystery and tried to explain and then reduce God down to our level, that we lose our awe of God. Do you know what else you lose when you try to explain and you try to know everything like God? And that you won't, I'm not going to obey you, God. I'm not going to do what you've asked me to do till you tell me how it's all going to work out. When you get God down to that, when you get, lower him down to that level, you have lost that oneness, that amazing, God, you're so great. And you know what else you've lost? Your ability to dream. To think, God, what could you do if I trusted you? What would you do in and through me if I allowed you to? And that's what happens when we look at like Job and see the suffering and see our own lives. And we're like, God, why? Why would you allow this? And if you think that God is just giving you something good to take it away, your view of God is wrong. Your view of God is wrong. When Job found out that all of his people died and everything that he had, you know what he did? He began to worship. And he had the view of God. God gives and God takes away. And God is still good when he gives and he's still good when he takes away. But for you and me, because our idol is I don't want to suffer. That when we get to that demanding of God, you tell me why. And we wouldn't ever say that in a prayer group. We would never say that at church. But our response, we're saying it to God. You see what I'm saying here? And if we, there's going to be time. And I'm telling you, this, it's, 
It's been so many times. I wish I could just say just one time you and say, God, I'll let you be God of me. And then just walk away and God's always you. You know, God's always God of you. But you may have to do it daily, daily, daily. And I've, over years, have had to say, God, you're going to have to be God of Dot Bowen. You, and then sometimes I changed my name. That was changed my name. My name really, my mother named me Doris. Y'all wonder who's Dot. I'll tell you that later. I'm still Dot. I'm not two people and the same person. But I tell you this, there's times in my life that I've got to say this. God, I don't understand what in the world you're doing or why you've allowed this. But I'm going to let you be God of Dot Bowen. Because I've tried, and I'm not a good one. And, and I think, ladies, the hope that's in that is that's why last night that I wanted to remind you there is a God, and he's on his throne. There is a God, there's a lamb that was slain for you so that you could call him God. And there's a reason that there's things in our lives, and yes, we can know that there are things in our lives that we are not going to be able to explain. There's this quote by Ben uh, Patterson. It says this, The effect of pain has a way of making the sufferer to explode upon himself. The great temptation of the suffering is to let your pain become the whole world and to start believing that all that ever was, is, and will ever be is your private hell. You know what that means? Suffering causes us sometimes to get into ourselves. That is, I can't look at anything apart. All I can think is I'm suffering. All I can think is I don't have this. All I can think is that I'm not, God has allowed this to happen. All I can think about is God has put me in this situation. The only thing I can can concentrate when suffering, when we are fighting against just the fact that we are suffering, the effects of our pain sometimes makes us just so caught up into our that all we can see, there's no hope. All we can see is the suffering and the pain that we're going through. And if you ever talk to someone, they can never see anything good in it. That is despair. You have Jesus, remember. God uses all things. You know, I think that in our lives, we have to understand that suffering is not God's punishment. Or our opportunity to explain who God is or why. Pain often is our time to, not to try to control our circumstances. Suffering is our opportunity to trust God. Is our opportunity to trust God. Ooh, amen. <laughs> Jesus was very, very clear to his disciples. Very clear. Jesus told Peter, he said, Peter, someone's going to get your hand and they're going to take you where you don't want to go. Peter knew that Jesus meant he would die for what he believed in. Jesus was very clear to his disciples that they were going to have to suffer. And Peter's just like us. He said, well, what about John? You know that beloved one you keep talking about? You know what Jesus said to Peter? Peter said, what about, me? what about John? Is, is he going to die? Is he going to die for you too, Jesus? 
know what Jesus said? What's that to you? That's what he said. Look it up. What's that to you? If I don't have John, if John doesn't die a martyr's death, if John isn't crucified upside down like you, Peter, for, my fa- for your faith, what's that to you? When a person is so caught up in their misery, all they can do is compare what God is not doing in their lives and what God's doing in someone else's. There's just a time in our lives when we're not going to be able to explain what God's doing. And if someone tries to tell you, don't listen. That doesn't mean they can't pray for you. That doesn't mean that they can't say, well, I do know that God loves you. I do know. You don't know. I cannot say this enough. You know, we get with our small groups, and I think in one of the pace groups, one of the lessons that I said to the leaders, and I wrote that facilitator's guide, don't give you an opinion and don't give your experience. Because I never will forget, I was so mad at God because when my dad found out, when we found out that my dad had cancer, all I could hear is how God cured everybody else's dad. And what that did, not that, not that we don't want to praise God for that, but when you're in pain and you're wondering if God loves you and you hear that, you're just giving the enemy opportunity to come between you and God. And that's what sometimes our suffering, what you have to do is you've got to fall before God and go, God, I have no idea what you're doing. I don't know why you've allowed this, but I know you're good. I know that you're good. Jesus was very clear that if you follow me, pick up your cross and follow me. If you're a follower of Jesus, how did it go for him? Did, didn't, when he was on the cross, didn't all of his friends leave? Was his friends at the tomb when he came out? They deserted him. They're scared to death. God was not being, Jesus was not being, their redeemer, their king, was not being king. He was dead. And they couldn't understand. That's why the Pharisees missed him, missed the king, the Messiah came. Why? They had made Jesus, the God, they had made the Messiah in their own image. And Jesus came, and Jesus didn't meet what they thought the Messiah would be. And they missed him. They missed him. You don't want to miss Jesus. Because in your mind, you've figured out that if this happens, this must happen. If this happens, this must happen. And God may say, "What? don't, don't put me in your box. Let me be God. You know what? You know what I've found over the years? You know when I told you that moment where I went and I bowed before God and I said, God, I'm on your side. You've forgiven me. I've surrendered my life to you. Do you know that was 38, 39 years ago? That's a long time, and I've never gotten over it. 
But I've struggled for 39 years. I've struggled all these years. But God brings me back because I know what it's like to try to live and be my God. I know how disappointing and the things that I'm ashamed of, the life that I regret, has never been the life that I've surrendered my whole life to God. It, it's never been those things that I've given totally, total surrender to God. It's those times when I've said, I'm going to make it work. I'm going to do it on my terms. I'm going to, I'm going to, I need to understand how it all goes. I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to determine whether or not I'm going to obey God when I can see the outcome. Then you're not trusting God. You're trusting the outcome. You're trusting what you think God might do. And I know, ladies, if you are wanting to be miserable, if you're wanting to suffer, you need counseling. I understand why we want to rebel and say, no, God, don't, don't, don't. God understands that. One of the things I love about Jesus is that he can relate. We all will have our Gethsemanes. We, I've never, I have never prayed to where there was blood that would drip. I've prayed where there's been a lot of tears. But as I've learned to walk with God, and as I walk in with Him and allow Him to live His life through me, He may take me in the storm. But you know, I hear that quote. You know, He just calms, He'll calm you in the storm. That's such a sweet quote. I don't want him to calm me in the storm. I want him to remove the storm. You know, I may tell you, well, you know, God wants to, you know, he wants to give you peace within. It's not about peace without. I may want to tell you that because it's true. But for me, I want him, I want him to take the storm away. And, and I think that one of the things that I start with this question today is like, why would God suffer? Why would God allow this? You know, and that's a good, that's a good question. I don't know. I have no idea. And I do know this. There's always hope. There's always hope no matter what we go through. Because we've got, remember what our hope is in? Do you remember what our hope is? It's not in our circumstances. We put our anchor in Jesus, who is our hope. So in the midst of suffering, what Caroline was singing, God, you're always with me. I've never been abandoned. There's always hope because I have Jesus. I may not understand why I'm doing it, but if you begin, I cannot say this over and over, and let me tell you this. If you continue to try to understand and explain and not be able to move forward in obedience to God because you've got to know the why and the, the plan. You're going to lose your oddness of God, your intimacy with God. And, you know, for me, I've just seen so much of just those times of just being able to say, God, just surprise me. Wouldn't you love to just have that kind of life? Just say, God, I don't know what's going to happen today. Just surprise me. And when something goes wrong and it's not the way you thought it was going to be and you felt like God just gypped, ripped you right out of something and it's not good, then just say, God, I guess that's best for me. You know, I love 
my children. I love my grandchildren. But no matter how many times he asks, no matter how many times they beg, no matter how many times they try to convince me to give them a knife, a butcher knife to play with, I'm not going to do it. Why? Because I know that will hurt them. And there comes a time when we're going to have to begin to say, God, for whatever reason, you've allowed this to happen. And I don't understand it, but by faith, I'm going to believe that this is the best path for me. Your walk with the Lord is individual. Your walk with the Lord is personal. Don't compare yourselves with everybody else. I'm telling you, you need to look it up. Jesus looked in the face of Peter and said, what's that to you if I allow John? In other words, Peter, Are you going to follow me if I don't do the same for you as I did for John? You know, I start with the question, why does God allow suffering? And I don't know. I really do not know. No one does. But I do know this. That wasn't God's heart at the beginning. And that's not his heart now. We live in a world, Jesus was very clear. You want to claim a promise? Stand on it. In this world, you will have tribulation. But don't worry about it, sugar. I've overcome. And you will too if you stick with me. Darnell Weister says this, There is no hopeless situation. There are only people who have grown hopeless about them. Our question is, why does God allow His children to suffer? But ironically, Satan Ask the best question. Will Job serve God for nothing? Will a person serve you, God? You call him so holy and blameless and righteous. He's only doing it because you're blessing him. The real question is, will a person love Jesus, if it cost them something. Your answer to that, Caroline didn't come on up, and to that question, but what I've had to learn, there is no hopeless situations, because I've got God. There are going to be disappointment. There are going to be suffering. There are going to be things that you're not going to know. 
but it should never cause us to be in despair. Do you know why? We're being held by the hand of Jesus. Jesus is the anchor of our soul. He's enough. He's enough. He is our only hope. So where there's suffering, there is hope because we have Jesus. As we close and Caroline sings, I, I want to just take a few minutes. And I don't, you know, y'all know that y'all send prayer requests, and I don't look at them. Now that we have a prayer team that prays for you, you know why I don't look at them? Because if I knew what you're struggling, I'd try to be God and direct my teaching to address your problem. And I found out that when I just ask God, God, you know their heart, you know what they're going through. When I ask him to speak to your heart, I know that he will because he knows what he's allowed you to go through. Thanks for listening. I'm so glad that you could be a part of our conversation. To continue the conversation, you can find Dot on social media at Dot Bowen or visit her website, dotbowen.com. Subscribe, like, and share with your friends, and we will see you next week on Write This Down with Dot Bowen.